This morning we're, we're starting our last mark of, of a disciple, and so we've, we've been talking about this, and haven't you enjoyed this series? I mean, has anybody just really enjoyed this series? We started it back in, there's a couple heads nodding, some of you are like, we're in a series? What is that? Well, for those of you that don't know or may be confused about that a little bit, we started back in September. Uh, Pastor Russ and I start, uh, did a message together on um, what is discipleship and the importance of the marks of a disciple and really about our vision, the come and see, follow me, be with me, remain in me, and how we're trying to summit. That's how we got our name. See what I did there? Um, we're trying to summit at disciple-making disciples, and that's the vision and the heart behind summit and really how summit came to be. Um, and, and we can talk more about that next Sunday. Um, but, uh, but, but w- so we talked about how there's five marks of a disciple. And so what we've done is we've taken two Sundays for each mark. So we talked about, for the first two weeks, a passion for Jesus. Then we talked about the importance of Scripture and the knowledge of the Scriptures and how if we're going to be disciple-making disciples, then we've got to reproduce the Word. Because the reality is we can reproduce anything. Right? I mean, we can reproduce anything. We can reproduce um, runners. We can reproduce food lovers. We can reproduce so on and so forth, right? But we want to re- reproduce people who are grounded and founded in the Word of God, right? So we talked about a passion for Jesus. We talked about a knowledge of the Word. Then we talked about importance of community, what we're doing this morning, what Ian celebrated, that we were walking each other in, caring for each other. One of the things that we say a lot around here is that the body's most effective when... The body ministers to the body. Thank you. Two of you have really been paying attention. That's awesome. And then the last two weeks, we talked about a heart for the lost, right? A heart for the lost. A heart for those that don't know Christ. And then today, we're starting what potentially could be one of the more confusing ones when we think about it, and that is generations. A heart for spiritual generations. And so let me just let me just show you really quickly kind of what that would look like, right? And so um, uh, let, let's start with, with Herb. Is that okay, Herb? Can I have you stand up? Is that all right? We'll start with Herb. And so let's say Herb starts, begin, starts to begin discipling Pastor Russ. That might be a really good start for you, right? So Pastor Russ is going to stand up, and then Pastor Russ is going to start discipling Jeff, who's right behind him. And then Jeff is going to start discipling Dave, who's back at the computer. And then Dave's going to start um, uh, discipling Tom, and you guys don't all have to stand up. And then Tom's going to start discipling Dylan, and then Dylan's going to disciple Chris, and then Chris is going to disciple Braden, and then Braden's going to come back and disciple me. Right? And you see that? All these generations of discipleship, the reproducing. Rep- okay, you guys can have a seat. That's generations. And you know what it is? It's building a legacy. And I want to talk about legacy for just, for just a minute. I want to talk about what we're leaving. Because I believe for us, the biggest tension when it comes to spiritual generations, when it comes to legacy, is that we just don't even think about it anymore because we're, cons- we're so consumed in our stuff. I was listening to something this past week. It was a, it was a podcast on, on, uh, on productivity, how to be productive, right? And how, how to be productive. And one of the things that the guy on the podcast was saying is how there's a huge difference between being busy and being productive. 
Being busy and being productive, right? Being productive means you have a goal, right? So if I want to be the, the best parent that I can be, right, then I'm going to eat dinners with my family. I'm going to run 5Ks with my daughter. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that, right? Or, and and, 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 that's, and that's, that's who I'm going to be. But if I'm just busy, then I'm just moving. If I'm productive, then I'm moving towards a goal. I'm moving toward a destination. I'm moving towards something, an end result. If I'm just busy, I'm just moving. You see that? And what I fear for many of us today, especially in the church, we talked about it a few weeks ago, how we've created this dysfunctional machine that we call the church today, and we're so wrapped up in making the machine run and continuing the machine to run and just being busy to keep the machine running, and yet we're not productive in the legacy of the church, which is generations after generations. There's one Bible teacher that says Christianity is one generation from being extinct. Because let's get down to bare bones real quick this morning. How many of you are parents? Great. Okay, I'm a parent too, right? Last time I checked. We have a responsibility as believers in Jesus, to reproduce into our kids those things that we've been taught as Christians or that we're learning and growing as Christians. Building a legacy. So that's what I'm going to talk about this morning. If you look at John chapter 17, you can turn there. That's where we're going to start. We're going to be in John chapter 17. We're going to jump over to 2 Timothy. Then we'll end up in Ephesians chapter 4 just to kind of give you the flight pattern for this morning. But... Uh, but John 17 is where I want, to, want us to start, and I want us to look at the high priestly prayer. We looked at this a couple weeks ago when we talked about a heart for the lost. Um, but just to give you a little bit of context and a little bit of background, this is Jesus' prayer on the way to the cross. Things are coming to an end in the life of Jesus, and when he prays here, and I, and I know I've mentioned this a couple times in the series, but he prays for three groups of people. The first five verses, he prays for his disciples, the guys that he's poured his life into. And then from verses 6 through 19, he prays for himself. He talks, to, he talks to his father, he talks to daddy about the things that are on his heart. And then in verse 20 through 26, 20 through the end of the chapter, he talks about, uh, in verse 20, he says, I do not ask for those only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. So what does that mean? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, then you are on the mind of Christ in this prayer on his way to the cross. And I don't, I don't know about you, but every time I read that, every time I hear that, every time I think about this passage, it, it tears me up in a good way that I was on the mind of Christ on His way to the cross. That He was praying for me on His way to the cross. And, and His prayer, and we talked about the first part of it a couple weeks ago, verse 21, that they may all be one. Jesus wanted His church to be Unified, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I give to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me 
where I am. To see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. Verse 26, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Now a couple things I want to point out here this morning. The first one, the first one I think is probably the biggest one is that the legacy of Jesus was generations. Over and over and over again as he prayed to his father, right? As he prayed to his father and as we see his ministry throughout, as we see his ministry throughout, he was reproducing what he and the father had. Father, I want them to be, I want them to be one as you and I are one. And so what Jesus was doing was reproducing in us. His prayer for us was that we would reproduce and we would model what he and his father had. Jesus was praying that this would be passed on. And then I want you to catch something in verse 24. I think this is really important as we talk about discipleship. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see the glory that you have before the foundation of the world. Excuse me, that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. I want you to notice one word in there. With. 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 I was reading some comments recently about discipleship. And one, one comment was that discipleship is more than coffee. Right? Discipleship's more than coffee. And, and, it's, and that's, that's so true. It couldn't be more true. I talk about, um, I, I refer a lot when, when I'm talking about discipleship. You go have a cup of coffee with somebody and you sit across the table. But discipleship's so much more than coffee. You want to know where some of the best discipleship happens? When you're serving alongside of each other. When you're serving alongside of each other. When, you're, when, you, um, when you grab a shovel uh, with Jeff Willis this morning and you start shoveling and Jeff falls down, that's discipleship. Slips, I'm just kidding. I had to mention that this morning. I'm sorry. He did it very gracefully. He caught himself and it just looked like he was doing a push-up and exercising and getting ready for church this morning. I, I, I almost joined him. I mean, I thought it was great. But this idea of with. There was an evangelist years ago the, that I got to talk to, his name was David Nasser. And David Nasser did this thing every year where he would hire an intern. And, and, the, and, and the difference between David Nasser's interns and other internships that I had heard of before when, when I was a, around college and, 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 and kind of researching what options were out there for ministry, um, David Nasser's internship was one of those opportunities. And one thing about David Nasser's internship is that you went and lived with him for a year. And you and you you did this and you did that and you got to eat dinners with his family and you got to observe him doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that. Now, as a disciple, I think that's awesome, right? Because I get to see this guy operate in everyday life as a as a percent as a potential discipler, that sounds terrible. Because I don't necessarily want this guy to see me all the time like I mean for example last Sunday when the Patriots were playing I did not have the most godly attitude 
between the hours of 1 and 4.30. It's funny, I start talking about the Patriots and everybody shows up to church. But I didn't have the most godly attitude between those hours last Sunday morning, or last Sunday afternoon. And I'm thinking, I mean, there were a couple guys in my house, so I had to keep my, I fell asleep actually. That's how good the game was. But you know what? I think that's the heart of discipleship that Jesus was after. I mean, I mean, don't get me wrong. There were times where Jesus separated himself from the crowd, right? He went and got alone. But even in that, even in that, I feel like those moments are beautiful because we recognize if Jesus needed to get alone with Father, how much more do I need to get alone with Father? You see that? And so even in that, I feel like he was modeling something that we should all take notes on. But what I love about the way that Jesus did discipleship is that he did it with his disciples. It was more than coffee. It was more than, hey, hey, let me just, you guys sit right there, VIP seating. I'm going to feed the 5,000. Who passed out the baskets? Who, you see that? It was with, it was participation. It was a legacy. And so when we talk about discipleship around here, when we talk about the marks of a disciple, a passion for Jesus, a knowledge of the Scriptures, uh, community, um, heart for the lost, generations, what we're talking about is so much more than one hour a week. What we're talking about is so much more than one hour a week. I mean, just... I mean, Russ and I have been in a discipleship relationship for probably five years, and you may hear me over the, this Sunday and next Sunday talk a lot about Russ and I's relationship, but, but it's, it's more than, than the hour to three that we spend on Thursday mornings at breakfast. When I, when I go through something, when, I, when, I'm, when I'm going through a, a tough um, situation, when, when I'm um, <clears throat> dealing with kids, when I'm winning a basketball game, one of the first people that I call is Russ. Because we're with each other. And I could tell you right now what happened in his basketball game yesterday and some of his wins and, and losses in basketball. He could tell you some of mine because we have a with relationship. I could tell you the things that drives Russ crazy the most. And I will at some point because that would be valuable to you. But it's more than a cup of coffee. It's more than a meal. It's life. The legacy that Jesus left for discipleship. And remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He says, I've, he's, he says when he's praying to his Father, I've completed the work you gave me to do. What was the work? Discipleship. He had made disciples. He had made disciples that were going to make disciples, that we're going to make disciples, that we're going to make disciples, that we're going to see generation after generation after generation after generation. And he had done it by committing his life to people. Which has major implications. Which has major implications. But before we jump into those implications next week, I want us to look at 2 Timothy 2, and I want us to think about how 
Ephesians chapter 5.1, Paul, and you don't have to turn there, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, but Ephesians chapter 5.1, I love this verse. Uh, Paul tells the church at Ephesus to imitate Christ, therefore, as his dear children. And so if this was Jesus' legacy, then how much more should the church be consumed with creating generations? So I want us to look at three principles this week as we seek to invest in other people. This is the how. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, two short verses, and we're going to pick three things out of them. You guys ready? You guys with me? Okay, good. This side is here. This side is still thinking about how bad the Patriots played last Sunday. 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. You then, my child, some of your translations are probably going to say, therefore, therefore, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The how. If we're going to do discipleship, if we're going to create spiritual generations, the first thing we have to do is invest in ourselves. We have to invest in ourselves first. Before we can invest in others, we need to be able to invest first into ourselves. I was in Dallas a couple weeks ago, and, and, and one of the things that, that I kept on hearing and kept on hearing and kept on hearing, we talked about it on the plane on the way down. I heard it three or four times in the, at the conference, and then I heard it on the, on the way back. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. You can't give what you don't have. In fact, in fact, I believe that most of us, in our attempt of being busy, most of us are in our, in our attempt of, 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 of consuming and trying to do it all and trying to have it all, we're living our lives trying to give things that we don't have. But we have to invest in ourselves first. We have to invest in ourselves first. If we've not invested in ourselves, we won't have anything to offer another person. Our own relationship with Jesus must be developing in trust and dependence before we can expect others to influence for His kingdom. To understand verse 1 here in chapter 2, we've got to go back to chapter 1 because Paul, because Paul tells Timothy, you then, my child, or as I mentioned, other translations, therefore, my child. I want you to look at 13 and 14. If you've got your Bibles, just look a few verses ahead at what Paul's telling Timothy in chapter 1. He says in verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me and the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the deposit entrusted in you. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. What is Paul telling Timothy? He's saying, listen, follow the faith, follow the love that are in Christ Jesus that you've heard from me by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Be strengthened by the grace. Back to verse 1 of chapter 2. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul's call to Timothy here was to invest in himself first. Was to invest in himself first. To not forget the responsibility of investing in himself. Timothy's encouraged by Paul to be strong in the grace that is in Jesus. There's two ways to look at this thought. The first way to look at this thought 
is that grace is the source of Timothy's strength. Or he's being encouraged to operate within the sphere of grace. In order for Timothy to do this, he'll need a strong faith. He'll need to train and not try. If Timothy is not operating within the strength of God's grace, guess what? He's going to fail. If you and I are going to be able to lead and mentor others or disciple others, we've got to first have something to offer them. Let's look at this from a financial point of view. If you're going to be able to invest into stocks or bonds or mutual funds or this or that, you've got to first have the money to do so, right? That makes sense, right? This means that we would have to prioritize our spending so that we would have the money to be able to invest. In a few minutes, in a few minutes when we get to number three, I want to show you what a $10,000 investment in one company on December 12th of 1980 would be worth at the end of uh, this study was done in 2014. You'll be amazed. But first, to make an investment of $10,000, you would have to have $10,000 available that you could afford to lose or tie up for a significant amount of time. When we don't invest in ourselves, we will have nothing to offer in the future. Paul also told Timothy, in verse 2, to be strong in what Paul taught him in the presence of many witnesses. He's called to hold fast to the truth, to the knowledge of the Scriptures. We'll have to invest in ourselves. The last thing that we want to have happen when it comes to discipleship is to have the blind leading the blind. Think of those who invested in you. Didn't they have something to offer? Didn't they have something to offer? Didn't they have something to offer? I, I um, often go back and think about those, and, and I've, I've done this a couple times before, but I think of, um, I think of back when I was 13, 14 years old, middle school. Uh, my youth pastor would pick me up every Friday morning. We'd go to Burger King. Burger King, have it your way, right? Two sausage, egg, and cheese sandwiches and orange high C. That's where it's at. Friday morning, 7 o'clock, 6.30 or so, we, we'd go. We'd, we'd get our food. We'd get it to go. My, my youth pastor drove a white, beat-up Oldsmobile. Seats were all ripped. The radio didn't work. But my youth pastor was about as joyful as could be. I'm not sure I've met anybody more joyful um, than, than him. And, uh, and we would go, we'd get our Burger King, Booger King, and, um, and, and it, was, it shared a parking lot with Target. And it was before any, I mean, it was, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning, so there was nobody going into Target yet. And, uh, and, and so we had the parking lot to ourselves. And we would park. And, uh, and he would put it in park, and we would eat, and I would chow down my two sausage, egg, and cheese for sandwiches, and he would tell me um, what he was learning in the Bible. He would teach me something about the Bible. And then I would, I would finish, and he would finish, and we would get out of our car, and for the next 20, 25 minutes or so in the parking lot of Target in Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, we would walk around the car or pace back and forth or 
walk all over the parking lot and we'd pray together. Because we were both way too animated to sit in an Oldsmobile and pray together in, in, in the car. I mean, it would be free. I almost said freezing. We were in North Carolina, so that's relative, right? So it'd be like 55 degrees, cold for us, and we'd be walking around in the Target parking lot praying together before school on Fridays. Man, Fridays were the best day of my week when my youth pastor would come and pick me up. Fast forward three years later, 16 years old, called to ministry. I mean, another youth pastor. His name's Thad. And Thad started to take me under his wing and disciple me. I talked to Thad twice this past week. Thad is still somebody I keep in touch with and talk to for hours at a time. He knows all about you. He knows you by name and the fact that you went skydiving a few weeks ago with purple hair. Because he invested into my life. I could tell you about professors in college. I could tell you about my basketball coach who had me over to his house to watch film and really he was modeling a great marriage to me and what it was like to love your wife sacrificially. Incredible man. And we could do that, right? We could go on and on and on. And you know one of the, you know one of the crazy things is that when something awesome happens in my life, when I have a great, I mean it sounds it sounds real small and insignificant, but when I have a great elders meeting, or when I, when, when I have a, a great parenting moment, when I, have, when I have a win in my life, you know what everything in me wants to do? Call Dave. Call Thad. Call Joe. Call Goose. His name's Professor Guguzian, but Goose for short because it's just, you get it. Because any win for me becomes a win for them. Any win for me becomes a win for them. When this church merged, they were a part of it. They got emails, they saw every post, because a win for me was a win for them. That's a legacy. That's generations. But before they invested into me, they were investing in themselves. Did you hear the with part of that in the very beginning? That when Dave and I would go and get the sausage, egg, and cheese croissants from Booger King and go sit while I was eating, he would tell me what he's getting out of Scripture. What if he wasn't getting anything out of Scripture? What if he didn't have anything to offer? You see that? So if we're going to pour ourselves into generations. We've got to invest into ourselves first. Number two, obviously, once we invest ourselves, once we invest into ourselves, we've got to invest our lives into another person. Look at verse two. Look at the call of Paul here and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Invest your life into another person. Paul didn't ask Timothy to simply invest into himself for investment's sake. He expected him to find others to invest in. Again, this was the example that Paul um, um, saw in, in, in the disciples in Acts and, and heard about with Jesus that they saw in Jesus. And, 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 um, and, and this was the expectation of, of Paul for Timothy that once he invested into himself, he was going to invest into others. And let me say one more thing about investing into yourself when it comes to discipleship. 
like we've said this entire series. I remember Russ saying it 10 weeks ago. Nothing that we're talking about in this series takes a cemetery degree. I mean seminary degree. None of it. None of the things that we're talking about in this series, a passion for Jesus, a knowledge of the Scriptures, community, a heart for the lost, creating spiritual generations and leaving a legacy, none of that takes a seminary degree. None of that takes a certificate. An, a, 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 you know, none of it. None of it. And so, and so we don't have to invest in ourselves to a certain point. We just got to be about one hour ahead. You see where I'm going with that? That's all it takes. So many of us are like, oh, this is going to be awesome. In 20 years, in 20 years or so, when I've, when I've gone through this and gained experience and done this, there, there are so many of you young people that are sitting out here, and when I say young, you, you interpret that however you want to, right? But there, there, there are many, many of you that have something to teach us now. So, invest in yourself, invest in others. And trust these things to faithful men. This is like an Olympic torchbearer, right? They hold the torch high until they can pass it on to the next person. And think about our faith. Think about your faith. Someone has passed the torch to you. I just talked about some of the people that, that passed the torch to me, and any win for me is a win for them. Now we need to be ready to pass the torch to the next person so that they can pass it to the next person. As with any investment, we need to also be wise as to where to invest. When it comes to discipleship, mm, how real can I get? How real can I get? Can I get real? Sure. You ready? Okay, because the rest of it has been fake up until this point. <laughs> what I mean by here is we have to be wise with our investment. Russ has a great saying when he says, feed the hungry. Feed the hungry. The person that makes the most sense might be the most available, might have the most potential, may be the worst person for you to disciple because they're not hungry. There are so many folks right now that think they should be discipled and are entitled to it. I know many of you have heard this story, but for fear that some of you missed it, the first lesson that Thad taught me, the first day of discipleship with Thad, I walked into the office, and I thought he was going to teach me how to prepare a message and do this right here and preach, and right? So I get, I get, I get a new notebook, and... I'm all ready with my Bible to sit down there. And Thad walks in and he says, I got you something. And I thought it was like a Bible, a teaching Bible, one of his notebooks, something like that. You know, the notes to some of his messages. And he pulls it out from behind his back. It's a toilet brush. What am I going to do with a toilet brush? He said, do you know how many toilets are in Parkwood Baptist Church? I said, no. He said, you're about to find out because you're going to clean every one of them before youth group tonight. He said, wherever you go in ministry, never forget that you're never too good to scrub a toilet. So I told him he was dumb and I left and he never mentored me. No, I'm just kidding. So I went and scrubbed every toilet. There were like 42 toilets in Parkwood Baptist Church before. He was like a Mr. Miyagi of ministry. It was, a, it was amazing. 
That's the first lesson he taught me. First lesson he taught me. If we're going to invest ourselves into other people, we've got to make a wise investment. Who's the hungry around you? Who's the hungry around you? Paul tells Timothy to entrust his preaching to faithful men. To faithful men. If we had $10,000 to invest, or $1,000 to invest, or $100 to invest, we would want to invest it and, and be wise about where we put it, right? If someone wanted to invest right now, into an 8-track tape company, it's probably not a wise investment. Right? Dylan's over there like, well, that might be a wise investment. Right? Right? And so entrust, to entrust these things to faithful men means to, 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 to faithful men, right, means to hand over for safekeeping, to deposit something of value. It doesn't mean to hide it, but rather guard uh, the purity of the thing to be entrusted. And trust these things to faithful men. And then number three. Number three. So we've got to invest in ourselves. We've got to invest in other people. Number three, we've got to encourage our investment to grow. This is, where, this is where it gets interesting. We've got to encourage our investment to grow. Because I want you to see something that Paul tells Timothy here in verse 2. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men, ready, who will be able to teach others also. Who will be able to teach others also. When we invest in ourselves, we have the resources to make investments into other people. And then we want to make sure that they're growing. We want to make sure that that investment grows. Paul encourages Timothy to invest himself into faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Spur him on to maturity. I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 4. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. It's going to be on the screen. Paul tells the church at Ephesus, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until, and I want you all to get this, in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we're no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that, it's, so that it builds itself up in love. When we talk about generations, when we talk about investing into ourselves, investing into other people, and encouraging our investment to grow, how we grow in discipleship is maturity. What that looks like is maturity. What we're reproducing is maturity. One of the big things that Russ and Ian and I talked about when we were at this discipleship conference down in Dallas is that we have to spur Summit. You, us, right? And so in order to do that, we've got to be investing in ourselves in the, own, in, the, in the same ways, right? That we've got to spur ourselves on to maturity. 
that, that we don't want to just be busy. We don't want to just be doing a lot of things. We don't want to just be, we, we don't want to just be the mouse that's on the wheel and just, and just running and running and running, but never going anywhere. We want to be productive. We want to be productive. We want to be productive. You know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. We don't want Summit Church to fit that definition. We want to be different. We want to be different. We want to be different. So when you think about your investment, one of the things I want you to think about when it comes to discipleship, and this is, the, this is my least favorite thing about discipleship. I'll be honest with you. My least favorite thing about discipleship takes patience. It takes patience. Because, because here's how I am. I want what I want, and I want it now. Anybody else? Nobody? Okay, good. One, two. Okay, great. Whew, I'm not alone. thought I was alone there for a second, right? Some of y'all just lied in church. Okay. Um, but the reality with investment when it comes to discipleship is that it takes time. It takes time. It takes time. I know I mentioned this a few weeks ago. A friend of mine did his doctorate on discipleship a few years ago. He did his dissertation on how long does it take for someone to reproduce themselves into someone else's life and to expect. I mean, Jesus did three years, but let's be honest, none of us are Jesus. Right? And so when my friend did his dissertation, he, he came and found that it took seven years of investment before the person started to imitate and reflect their discipleship relationship on average seven years. And so when we sign up for discipleship, when we sign up, we say, okay, I'm going to start being intentional with Zan, or I'm going to start being intentional with Herb, or I'm going to start being intentional with Dylan, then we're signing up for the long haul. Which means you're signing up for pain, you're signing up for disappointment, you're signing up for letdown, you're signing up for wins and celebrations and victories and all of that. You're signing up for the whole thing. Why? Because I believe it's the legacy of the church and the legacy of Jesus. Listen, when I think about our kids, when I think about their kids, which I try not to think about very often, I mean, let, let's stop. Let's go, let's go this direction. When I think about South Gorham Baptist Church, 190 years old before we merged. Back when they started that church, smoke machines weren't even a thing. <laughs> cool lights weren't even a thing. Celebrity pastors and all this stuff wasn't even a thing. You know what was a thing? The Word of God. A passion for the Word of God. When I think about the legacy that we're leaving right now, today, as Summit Church, again, nine, ten months in, I don't want to leave them smoke machines. I don't want to leave them 
even a building. I want to leave him a trust and a sovereign God. Let's go back to that investment. 1980, December 12, 1980. You make a $10,000 investment. For this to work, right? For, so, so you make a $10,000 investment. Where would the investment be? Again, this study was done in 2014. Right? Through the 80s and 90s, you would have had to exercise a great deal of patience because the investment had very modest growth. But for the patient investor, the one who was willing, directly quoting this article, the one who was willing to stay the course and ride out the bumps and bruises would have seen a gold mine in return. Today, your $10,000 investment because of stock splits and dividends, yada, 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 stuff I don't even understand. A couple of you do, do though. I, I see some accountants in here. Today, that stock would be worth over $2.5 million. Can you guess who I'm talking about? Of course, Apple. Duh, right? <laughs> I mean, iPad, iPhone. I got my iBook in the off. Anyway, all right. So, of course, I'm talking about Apple. So, I've, if, if that's you, if you invested $10,000 of stock back into December 12th in 1980, then you're welcome. Right? $2.5 million. But let's think about that, right? We're, we're 35 years later. We're 35 years later. 35 years later. Can investing make a difference? Can mentoring mold a person? Yes, it can. We've all been mentored. We've all been invested in, in some way and somehow. Some of you, some of you are like, well, well, I can teach someone everything not to do. Great. Do it. Please. Please. But what is the investment that you're making? What is the legacy that you're leaving? Friday, I was leaving the house. And um, Friday was that day that it, it snowed. Anybody remember that? I'm sure everybody was in a great mood on Friday. And, uh, and I had to go out and plow some driveways and I had to make a couple other stops. And so I looked at the girls because they were out of school. And... Um, and, and I said, does anybody want to come with me? Anybody want to come with Daddy? And, and, and uh, one of them said, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd love to come with you, Daddy. And so she, she came, she hopped in the truck, and we went, we did all these errands. And, and we were on our way home, and she said, Daddy, I just didn't want to sit in front of a screen. I didn't want to watch TV. I didn't want to be on a computer. I didn't want to be on a phone. I just wanted to be with you. My brother was with me, so I couldn't cry. So I'm over there like, <laughs> right? <laughs> because I had, that, I had that moment, right? But may I never be too busy to be productive and invest in my kids who are obviously hungry to learn and grow. May we as a church not be too busy to 
to invest in generations of disciples and leave a legacy. And my question for you this morning as the worship team comes is, on a scale of 1 to 10, we've done this with all five, how important is that legacy to you? How important is legacy to you when it comes to the church? How important is making sure that our children have everything that they need in their classrooms, making sure our youth ministry is set up for greatness, making sure that our college students are meeting Jesus on their campus, and making sure that you get the point. How important is that to you on a scale of 1 to 10? How important is that for, to you? Some of you may be sitting here thinking, you know what? I've never thought of generations. I've never even thought of, you know, legacy when it comes to church. Would you please think about it? Would you please pray through it? I, I, know, I know you probably haven't heard it. There's, there's, there's not many. I, I did some research this past week. Outside of the ministry of the navigators, duh, right? Outside of the ministry of the navigators, I found two, count them, two, one, two messages from churches talking about spiritual generations. Two! It's not what we're talking about. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a buzz thing. Discipleship's a buzz thing. But see, they're having fun. Legacy. Generations, right? It, 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 discipleship's a buzz, but we just want to do discipleship because it's the bud, buzzword. We don't want to really invest and, 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 and deal with the, 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 the length of time that it's going to, and, and, and the maturity piece that comes along with that, right? right? That's, that's what we're signing up for when it comes to discipleship. Would you be willing to pray about your investment into yourself and to other people and then encouraging that investment to grow so that Summit Church becomes a place that's building a legacy of disciple makers. That's building a legacy of disciple makers. Well, that doesn't sound cool, but Jesus did it. So I think that's enough for me. Let me pray for us.